The Stars of Pod number 158. We got a lot of questions and I got a lot of answers. So without further ado, let's hop in. Okay, we're going to kick off with Patreon questions, starting with Brent Lawson. Will we be seeing more colors of the cowboy armor, or perhaps new and different armor altogether? Samurai, question mark, question mark, question mark. It really is a lot of fun and brings new life to older figure designs. Been seeing tons of great customs so far. Well, thank you for the kind words. Um, I, you know, I am really thrilled with people's reaction to the cowboy armor. And in keeping in mind that this is only one small part of the overall project, we're going to get Captain Peasy, we're going to get Captain Tanner, and then there is that mysterious third style, which will be revealed and put up for pre-order, I don't know when, sometime in the near future, which will have the really subdued, uh, real-type paint style that you know and love from Kit Lau. So, um, I'm really thrilled with people's reaction. I'm really blown away by the customs. Um, I have not had a ton of time to dive in with this armor set. Most of the fidgeting with it I've done has been on the sort of photo booth process, you know, as I'm posing them, as I'm taking photos. Not really like the greatest setting. And I haven't had a, haven't had a ton of like free time in order to kind of like figure out what this, all the ramifications of it, all the different combinations. So it makes me very happy to see people's customs and um, give me ideas that I had not yet thought of. Now, to, uh, to get to the question, um, there will be other colors of this. Uh, as I have said before, you have not seen every portion of this project. Um, I don't want to say much more than that. And, um, you know, there's definitely a conversation going on about what other armor sets could be amongst myself and Kit. Uh, I think that's very, very far down the line. But generally, our mutual feeling is we'd like to work together more. We'd like to do more projects. So we will see what ends up happening there. Uh, As far as Samurai goes, as I think Lance pointed out in the reply to this comment, uh, sorry, it was Eric, um, I'm not that taken by the idea of Samurais uh, for a sort of armor set. Um, with the right design, could I change my mind? Could I get enthused about it? Sure, absolutely. But for the time being, um, it's not. It's just not speaking to me. And when this project initially got kicked off, I actually sent Kit uh, a page of like six different genre designs. There was a samurai, there was a cowboy, you know, and you could probably fill in the rest with your imagination. Um, we focused in on the cowboy because that was the strongest one. It was something we both loved. It, it made the most sense. It was easy to translate. And um, also it hadn't been done a ton. You know, there, there are so many fantastic samurai and sort of futuristic samurai figures out there. Um, you know, you would not... You're almost better off sort of customizing one, you know. But anyway, I digress. Um, Not something I'm thinking about right now. I would like to do more styles. I would like to do more and different armors 
ideas, but um, we got to get through this, this sort of early stuff that we're committed to first. DP Workman asks, are there any non-Toy World artists whose work you feel would translate particularly well to your medium? Jimmy Geigrich and Christy Caracas seem like fairly natural fits to me. Um, I do apologize, I'm not familiar with either of those artists. Um, I've always felt like uh, Peter Chung, the creator of Eon Flux, I, felt, I feel like his stuff really, really needs to be made into action figures, Eon Flux in particular. Now, there's a lot of, there would be a lot of engineering issues with the thinness and getting those figures to stand up straight and not bend or warp, but um, I've always been hugely inspired by him. And, um, you know, I kind of think if you guys know Richard Goodwin, who I think is a patron, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he's working on a resin line of figures called Neon Strikers. You should definitely check these out. I, I think that there is a real kinship there between Peter Chung's work and what a contemporary like Richard Goodwin is doing. Um, so maybe one day those will become real manufactured toys. Chris Lucero asks, any way to revive the UV figures? Realize they turned into this dull pink sitting on my shelf and they don't turn bright purple anymore. Probably soaked up too much muted light from the window nearby. Uh, Chris, by the way, I do have uh, your Patreon gift. It is sitting ready to go out with your next order. So don't think I've forgotten about you. Um, no, unfortunately, I do not know of any way to revive these. Now the color change is a chemical reaction. And the more it is utilized, the less, the less profound the contrast and change will be. Uh, personally, I store UV figures in a bag and then in a box so that there's no ambient light sort of getting to them and, and reacting with the pigments that are in there. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but this is part of the impermanence of plastic toys. Um, we think of them as being made to last. They are very much not. These are temporary items in time. Trevor Petkiss says, are the clear green Saima arms included with Chameleon Lime 2.0 and indication there's a whole Saima hyperphase Coralius, if I'm saying that right, material lady. If not, is there at least a clear green major boobage torso in existence? Uh... Would look cool coupled with a certain old knight part. Um, so this is probably a good time to say, for those who are not patrons listening to this, that there is actually, there's been this really wonderful Patreon pre-order in the store. This is for the forthcoming Rex Gannon graphic novel um, put together by myself with Gavin Mackey's art, uh, co-written by Matt Bandel, wonderful editing by Nate Jones, and a beautiful back cover by Johan Ulrich. Um, patrons have been able to pre-order that, and amongst that offering, there is a bundle, which is an exclusive hidden figure that comes with the graphic novel that uh, is of somebody in the graphic novel you guys haven't met yet. Um, why am I saying all this to a question about a clear green Cyberama? Um, Maybe for no reason whatsoever, or maybe they're connected, and you might want to order the bundle. Gavin Raider, seeing how well the vinyl cape works for Terminus Radic, and then seeing your custom build with Captain Peasy using the leather jacket, have you considered working with leather goods for future dusters? 
or is the price point too high? Uh, by the way, that leather jacket sample was made by a patron, Jason Ellum. So shout out to Jason. He did a great job putting those together as per my specification. Uh, moving on to the second part of Gavin's question. Reading over the Montana Midnight story, knowing it ends with a to-be-continued, had me thinking. Montana was connected to this video game suite. I wonder if there's any trace of his soul or consciousness that might have made the leap into the vector upon his demise. I mean, after all, I assume that Turbo Eto takes place in the vector, doesn't it? Also, what is the identity of this UK software developer? How much did they play into Montana's fate? Fantastic question. So let's let's go to the first part where you ask about leather jackets. Uh, I'm glad you like the vinyl cape for Terminus Radic. By the way, guys, you can take that vinyl cape and you can double up the the two s openings for the sleeves and you can put that on a neck. So it is actually a sash as well as a sort of vest. You can wear it both ways. There will be a character coming up that, that does exactly that. So fun little tip. Definitely integrate them with the cowboy armor. I think they're a perfect fit. Um, have I contemplated using leather jackets? So I would not use real leather. I would use a, a sort of polyester or a synthetic version. But the answer is yes. And there are, in fact, many new cloth goods in production right now as we speak. And by the end of the year, you're going to have the opportunity to own many of these items. And they are also in the larger size, so that Hackerman and Radic can utilize them as well. But this is the first time I, I think I'm mentioning this. But yes, I've been very hard at work since Radic's inception in finding uh, garb that he can have. Uh, with the, the sort of vinyl vest that Terminus came with being the first of many different looks for the character. So I'm excited about that. Regarding Montana Midnight, um, so all I will say is I, you are asking exactly the questions I hoped everybody would ask when they read that story. So I give you uh, props for that. This is exactly the sort of things I was trying to inspire. Uh, I'm not going to comment specifically on anything else, but I will give you one one piece of information, because I, I think this is a, a really wonderful paragraph. Uh, Turbo Atoll is a very real place. Um, you can go in our world to the place where Turbo Atoll is in my mind. Um, it is based on a physical geographical location that I visited quite a few times. So there is a, there is a very real world influence when it comes to fleshing out that uh, that land, and you will you will know more as we slowly sort of leak out additional chapters of the Turbo Eto story, leading up to what will be a hopefully very wonderful second graphic novel, or it could be third graphic novel by the time we're done with it. We'll see. Sean Gordon says Rex Gannon walks into a Vector Toys R Us. What non Night of the Slice toy does he buy? Well, um. He doesn't even have to go to the Vector. That's the beautiful part. He can go to Toys R Us in Hong Kong, uh, if it's still open. I know Hong Kong's going through another explosion of cases, and they might be going through a lockdown as we speak. Um, 
So let's assume Rex is at the the Kowloon Bay Toys R Us, which uh, a few days ago I posted my Asia trip toy pizza video from way back. You can actually see inside the store um, in that video. So let's directly reference that. I think Rex is going to go right to the impulse aisle and the Toys R Us is over there. They sell all the wonderful Ultraman and Kamen Rider Shoto kits, which are like supposed to be candy toys, but they're a real full-functioning four-inch action figure. They're quite great. I love them. So that's where Rex would go, and he would just scoop up as many of those as he can find. With the, you know, one, I'm, I'm very much missing going over there and seeing friends and, you know, splurging and shopping and, and doing all that. Second, I don't even have Ratukin Market, which was a really wonderful service that was importing goods. They've closed down as well, um, likely in response to the COVID shipping restrictions. So I'm really sort of uh, very much missing that rush I would get when I got my hands on a bunch of, you know, Japanese or, or Hong Kong toys. That song was Doorman by Slow Tie. This song, in my mind, it plays in Turbo Atoll, the movie, during the, the last final race. That's a song that I've written scenes to, and I think it pur purposefully, uh, perfectly encapsulates the energy and the feeling of Turbo Atoll. Uh, moving along to John Emmett, other than Acid Rain and Knights of the Slice, what figures have you been putting the new cowboy parts on? I'm still experimenting, but I love the armor. Uh, I've seen some issues of staining with the classic white figure when wearing the cowboy armor. Is there a way to prevent that? Speaking of flaws in action figures, how do you avoid perfectionism when collecting figures? I personally get anxious about handling my collection, and I think I need to get in a better mindset when it comes to these sorts of things. I do have anxiety issues in general, so that probably has a lot to do with it. Um, I feel for you, man. I'm, I'm with you right on that page. So let's start at the beginning. Um, as I said, I, I haven't been putting the cowboy parts on a ton of things. I guess the most ambitious thing I did was take the PZ body and put a Rex head on it and that leather jacket mock-up, and that was a ton of fun. Um, I, I dearly need to sit down with the cowboy armor and come up with great stuff. I, I do actually, you know, prior to this coming in stock, I did come up with a couple kits that you guys could build uh, featuring different parts. Um, the problem is it's you need other Night of the Slice pieces to utilize it, but I'm thinking I kind of just might release these. Just see if people like them, see if they have fun with it. Um, yeah, let me think on that. I may actually add this to the store. I think that could be kind of cool. Um, I'm going to ponder that. I'm going to write that down. And I'm going to ponder that. Um, okay, so, uh, haven't had a ton of time. Now, there are issues of staining with the armor on the white body. There are issues of staining, you know, that that contemplate every single Glyos release. And in a bigger picture, every single plastic line that's out there. Um, to sort of explain this, we're going to touch 
back on what came up earlier in that these plastic items are impermanent. They are not uh, indestructible. They do not last forever. Um, if you have any of the Metacom Real Action Hero figures, you know, from the uh, late 90s, they're falling apart. The, the plastic is very brittle. There's a sticky, tacky feeling. And you've experienced this with other figures that are about 30 years old. That's, a, that's around the time frame when this plastic starts to break down. Uh, it can be much quicker than that, or it can take even more time than that. Uh, Mego figures from the 70s, famously, they have Mego Molt, which, uh, you know, their sort of skin tones turn kind of bluish or greenish. Um, this is the medium in which we work, right? It is not a permanent thing, although I think our first inclination is to feel that plastic is, is something solid and it's it's not transient. It is in its form and it exists like that forever. That's, that's very much not the case. Um, so a white plastic body or a lighter color does run the risk of having pigment sort of bleed and leach into it if you're using an exceptionally bright color or if the heat is exceptionally hot, which this so far has been a hot summer where I am. Don't know if uh, it's been the same where you are. So this is just one of those things that it, that's going to happen over time, much in the same way that, you know, the UV color fades after being exposed to sunlight and doesn't quite work in the same manner. Th these are the trappings of the form that we've all decided to collect and to produce. And there's not much I can do to sort of mitigate that or to help that. Now, it's probably worth experimenting if you get a insanely high grade sanding paper, you may be able to mitigate some of the pink bleed that happens. Um, I haven't tried that myself. I would say try it with caution, but uh, I don't know sort of how far into the white plastic the color is, has bled or like that. I guess the ultimate answer is if it's important to you to keep a, a figure in pristine condition, just don't, don't remove it. Don't put the armor on it. You know, if that gives you more peace of mind than displaying the figure in its intended form, I think that's a totally valid choice. Now, speaking of somebody who has very, very deep-seated anxiety issues and has had to, uh, I wouldn't say overcome, but had, have, had to work to mitigate serious, uh, debilitating sort of mental malfunctions, um, I would say that perfectionism doesn't have a place in this hobby and it certainly doesn't have a place in Knights of the Slice because this is one of the sloppiest least planned random toy lines you couldn't collect and I have had people leave the hobby of Knights of the Slice because it doesn't gel with the sort of chemistry of their brain and that's entirely fine Knights of the Slice is a sort of you know it is a version of the chaos that's going on inside my brain which is why it's incredibly difficult for somebody who's a perfectionist to collect this line, and I, and I get that. I can also say, as having had 
completest tendencies early in my toy collecting and now being, you know, a couple decades beyond that, I can tell you collecting is a lot more fun if you can accept, one, that you won't get everything, two, that the chase is 99% of everything. Uh, once you obtain something, it loses some of its mystery and mystique. And three, that, you know, plastic is an imperfect, imperfect form, and there's always going to be paint chips, there's always going to be bleeding, there's always going to be, uh, you know, dulling of colors in the sun, X, Y, and Z. Um, I think that maybe part of the reason we don't like to think of action figures as being something that eventually breaks down and, you know, decomposes is because it sort of reminds us of the condition of human beings in that we are incredibly fragile and have a very short time on this earth before we become worm food or, uh, I guess, cemetery ash? I don't know. Um, but if you can, if you can take this concept of the transient nature of not just us, but the toys and the universe in general, that everything decomposes, if you can take that and swallow it and embrace it, it may just defuse a lot of the self-imposition towards perfection and completeness nature that that I think comes out. I also think now is a really fantastic time for people to kind of dive into uh, introspection and, and therapy. You know, obviously, therapy has to be a sort of telemedicine phenomenon now through apps and Skype and things like that. I've done that. My I actually benefit from my therapist moved um, about a year ago. So I had been sort of doing sessions via Skype uh, well before the pandemic and travel bans and things like that. So I already had a leg up on it. And it is not as good as having a therapist in person, but it is definitely helpful and can be meaningful. And if anyone has ever had an inclination that they might want to better themselves or at least be a little curious about the quirks or things that prevent you from kind of being able to breathe and be less anxious. Now, it's never been a better time because we all have time on our hands. There are plentiful apps for utilizing telemedicine. Uh, there are unbelievable deals. It's never been cheaper. There's never been more qualified mental health professionals who need patients and who now understand how to do video conferencing and things like that. This is all new developments. And uh, I think it's a wonderful time to, to sort of do that. We are all sort of powerless to change the bigger issues that are going on in the world. We clearly are not in a democratic society. We, you know, we are seeing the breakdown of society on many levels. But one thing you can change, and thusly, reverberates and changes the world around you is what's going on inside your head. So I thoroughly encourage everybody to explore this. Um, plenty of apps uh, with a little research. I think you can find, you know, some good inroads towards something like that. Also, separate but equal, just get a guided meditation app. Really fantastic stuff. Um, I think either of these things can really 
go a long way. And when things are so terrible in the external, truly the only defense to that is having, being able to get to a place internally of bliss, or at least of quietness or peace, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, I think it's never been more important and never been more crucial. So I encourage everybody to do that. And when you do, when you start to make a little progress, you see it affects everything else, including compulsive collecting habits, uh, being bad with money, you know, uh, retail therapy, sort of binging and purging and buying stuff to make yourself feel better. When you start to go down the path of self-improvement, those things become well mitigated and, and you see it and you feel it and it feels like an accomplishment. So uh, there you have it. Question from Lori Herbst, who I think is, I always forget, it's either Sam or Sean. Uh, have I listened to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? I've asked before, but many songs perfectly fit Knights of the Slice. Um, almost forgot about Robo Stop. So I'm gonna, I'm going to have a new rule. Um, it's very hard for me to listen to new music. I, I've given up on pursuing these things. So chances are, for you younger patrons or customers, I don't know what you're talking about. I've completely retired from being cool and up to date on music and stuff like that. I am I'm blissfully happy being stuck in the late 90s and the early aughts. Um, so my blanket answer from now on is no, I haven't heard of that. Uh, if you want to post specific tracks, I'm more than happy to check them out. I also think... Um, you know, I think music is really subjective and it's really, really hard to get somebody else to to ascribe a certain song to uh, something like Knights of the Slice. I think we all have our own personal soundtracks for Knights of the Slice and I don't know how easy it is to sort of convince somebody else that... Um, you know, there should be an association between this piece of music and this media. Because I think that is, I think that is uniquely personal. And I don't know if there is necessarily crossover there. Our good friend Lance Tomimoto has several questions. Some are good, so let's dig in. What do I think about forgiveness and people that wronged me? Um, you know, I would love to have very sort of uh, high-minded ideas about that, but I do think at the end of the day I am a human being, and uh, I can be petty, I can be vindictive, and I sort of find that people's ability for forgiveness and universal love are really predicated on how they were raised and how much of those elements were in their formative years, of which I had very little. So I do think my base instinct is pointed, not cruel. I think that's probably the best self-summary I can do. I can be very direct and uh, be disagreeable but I try never to have malice or be cruel. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of being wronged, there, there are profound villains 
in life. And I think in some respects, an idea of absolute forgiveness for all empowers the villains to continue to sort of subjugate and abuse and get away with creating the really terrible world that we see in front of us. I guess the the credo there would be know your enemy, right? And um, I don't know that, especially if we look at the, the superstructure of how everything has gone so profoundly wrong and acutely over, you know, the past couple months of, of this year. Um, I don't know that the perpetrators of all these injustices deserve forgiveness. Um, I think they deserve to be pelted with unboiled potatoes while in a dog cage. Next question from Lance. Nipples or no nipples on shirtless action figures? Um, I just go with no nipples because it's easier and less work and less of a sort of uh, potential color application you have to do. So I have nothing against nipples. I am. I have many times affirmed my pro-nipple stance in politics, but when it comes to action figures, I just usually skip them. Think of it how most cartoon characters have four fingers. It's just less fingers to draw. I'm kind of in that boat when it comes to nipples. Uh, who are my toy heroes and comic book creator heroes. Um, you know, I think like immediately Kit Lau, like it's a blast to work with that guy. I do think he's really fantastic and I've been an avid collector and fan of his work since he came on the scene. Uh, with comics, um, you know, Michelle Fife, um, Eric Larson. Uh, I, I think I've covered the people that, you know, have sort of inspired me in those mediums. Do I prefer my robot toys in diecast or plastic? Um, you know, I I would say I prefer solid robots. So I don't tend to like a lot of the Dimashi Spirits figures, which are sort of like a lot of different panels of ABS and they lack a certain weight. So I guess diecast would sort of get the weight portion of it across better. But... Um, I guess I'm a bit agnostic, so long as it feels solid. Uh, favorite beast, battle beast animal. He had the owl with the cyborg eye. That was a great one. Um, God, there's so many of them. I, I guess the first one I had was the fox that had sort of white and aquamarine armor. Uh, I really liked that one. There, there's so many great designs. It's kind of hard to pick. Uh, do I ha do I give any nice of the size figures to nephews, nieces, or little cousins? If so, what do they think of the line? Uh, like kids from the Magic Play Age of 4 to 12. Uh, I have, and I do, I have a lot of uh, nieces and nephews. I think there are 10 of them now, all together. Um, it's interesting. They seem almost universally unimpressed that their uncle is a toy designer. <laughs> Um, which is, is fine and not unexpected. I do get like one or two years where they're at the right age and they're very interested in what I'm doing. None of them ever buy anything, by the way. I know these kids have allowances. It wouldn't kill them to make a store purchase. Um, so I get like one or two years where they're, they're semi-interested in what I'm doing and might follow some of the pieces of what I put out there. 
Um, but then they kind of age out. They get into... It's almost universally Five Nights at Freddy's. They get into Five Nights at Freddy's and then they could give a shit about anything in the tangible world, including my toys. Uh, I did get a little bit of traction with the Capsule version 2. I sent that to my niece and the Hot Pink Saima version really like spoke to her in a big way. And she's a little bit too old for toys by her own admission. So that was kind of like a little flare up of respect that I got very uh, briefly. But generally, um, they don't really give a shit. <laughs> All I can think of is if I had an uncle when I was a kid that was into anything I was remotely into, like comic books or video games, or, I, I would have been up their ass every second. I would have been calling them every day. Like if I had an uncle that worked at Nintendo or something like that, I, I you know, but I, I think that there's so much distraction for kids that, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I can't blame him for not finding this interesting. <laughs> um, finally, from Lance, he says, favorite vector jump colorway or design? I think that the Royal Vector Jump is is pretty great. Um, that one was a lot of fun. I liked the color scheme. I also took him to Dia Beacon, a uh, very modern art museum uh, near here, and did some wonderful uh, photos of him with all the installations that are there. And I, I thought that that was a really great set of images that, that worked out nicely. So I think I have a fond spot for him. Gordon McKinnon Hall, what have been some of your favorite comic book and toy bundles you've gotten? I remember the original Medieval Spawn having a satisfying standalone issue and cool figure. Really looking forward to the Ga Rex Gannon graphic novel and figure bundle. Um, I think the, the ones I bought most consistently and really loved were the Hasbro comic packs for G.I. Joe and also for Star Wars. There was a lot of great stuff there. And the idea that, you know, what did those cost? $12.99? 15 bucks? For that price, you're getting a comic and you're getting a full sort of scene that you can create with two figures and accessories. I thought that was really fantastic, and I, I, I bought almost every single one of them. So uh, if I can get even close to that magic with this Rex Gannon graphic novel bundle, I'll be very happy indeed. Moving on to JT, what is the biggest difference between working on your standard Knight of the Slice figure and the Cowboy for Acid Rain? More articulation, more problems, question mark. Uh, so luckily, I did not have to do, I did not have to do any of the debugging on the articulation and the manufacturing because Kit lives in Hong Kong and was able to sort of be there in person at the factory. Um, if I was there, I would have, it would have been a learning curve. I would have had to really step up my game in terms of the tolerances and the engineering precisions of you know, having such a hyper-articulated figure. Um, not that I haven't done articulated figures before. I have my sort of history of, you know, working at Mezco and Jazzwares before that. So it's not completely foreign to me, but it's not a articulation sort of schematic that uh, I work with constantly. Um, so I guess the, the biggest difference was really designing for two standalone systems simultaneously. Designing on the classic night body while designing on the acid rain body. And 
that sort of two-mindedness is really uh, complex. (laughs) That's part of the reason why this has taken probably a year and a half to make happen. There's just so many considerations that have to go into this stuff. But we did it. It's a success. And uh, it was absolutely worth the time. Sean Clark, uh, do I know if there are any plans for the Cowboys and other Annex figures to come in boxes like the Acid Rain figures? So I have seen a mock-up of a box. I believe this to be a cardboard shipping box. It, it, there is a graphic. There's a sleeve. I don't know if they're doing those sort of plastic storage lockers that, um, you know, traditional Toy Alliance Acid Rain figures come in. Uh, that hasn't been made clear to me, and it's ultimately not my decision. So um, I do know that there will be some sort of box. My best guess is it is a cardboard box, and I did see the artwork, which is brand new. It looks fantastic. Chris Warner asks or states, the Marshall Vector Jumps to the Wild West circa 1885 without his gear. What does he choose as a replacement pistol and shotgun slash rifle? Uh, I don't think you could do better than a lever action Winchester 88. That's just my personal preference. And then, uh, you know, for sidearm, Colt single action army. I think that'll handle the task. Maybe a couple sticks of dynamite. Thomas Yante has a fantastic question here. How much do your characters change and evolve over the years? Is Rex still the Rex you envisioned when you first created him? And has his journey been a path you expected? How about for some of the old heroes? Um... I can honestly say that the Rex that stands before me is not at all the Rex from his creation in the the 90s. Um, But that is great. That's a wonderful thing. Um, You know, I think I've been thinking a lot about the different iterations of Rex over the years. And um, there's the sort of pre 9-11 Rex, which was very pro-military and, uh, you know, just a sort of tier one operator in the army, you know, going on missions and and uh, taking out enemies. Then the post 9-11 iteration, and especially during the Obama years, really became the drone rider segment of the Rex Gannon story when, when drone warfare was so popular and a sort of general disease about uh, the presence of America overseas sort of percolated. Um, And then we have Rex as he is today, which is a character who has benefited from the military industrial complex, but is having a sort of midlife reconciliation of that, is starting to view the application of force through a very jaded lens. As you will read, this isn't really a spoiler because it comes up pretty early, at the beginning of this Rex Gannon graphic novel, he is sort of a private military contractor. And he's wrestling with his role as a soldier, as an archetype, versus the reality of killing and being in the field of battle. And what does he ultimately want? Does he want a quiet, peaceful life? Does he want a civilian life? Does he want to be slightly adjacent to warfare? Or does he want to be in the shit? Does he, is he at his highest form of actualization in combat and I hope that those are some of the themes that get explored in this graphic novel maybe I've totally missed a part who knows so I would say that you know Rex has has aged with me and Rex 
is always about the same age as I am. The start of this graphic novel, I actually think, yeah, throughout this entire graphic novel, Rex is about 30 years old. And Rex, present day, in Turbo Atoll, would be about 40 years old. Um, So we get, you know, he sort of lives alongside me, and he evolves as my views and my thoughts sort of evolve. And, And it's not the same one, but it is the same one simultaneously. For other old heroes, that's a different story because I haven't consistently worked on them the entire time, with maybe the exception of Cray. But Cray is a fantasy story, so there's not a ton of adaptation or growth that that character can do comparatively. Um, For old heroes like Rebel Knight, uh, you know, Bumblejet, that's more about, like, strip mining an idea and translating it into something modern. It's less about this long history of telling the same story and changing it and tweaking it and transmogrifying it. It's more about, oh, here's a couple cool visual elements. I will just take those, I will regurgitate them into a form that fits this modern action figure. So there's a little bit less thoughtfulness, I guess, or a little less narrative or story to go along with that. Lance Tomei Moto comes back with another question that he actually answers for himself. He says, favorite dinosaur in toy form. He has an old imperial two-headed T-Rex that he adores. Lance, I had the same one. It's got a horn on the head, on each head, right? That's going to be my pick as well. He also asks, what's my favorite dinosaur overall? Um, I would say Ankylosaurus. I uh, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But I would say that because, one, that they're awesome, objectively. Um, and two, because they are probably the most useful dinosaur in Ark, which is a very terrible game you should not play, but I have spent probably a hundred hours playing. Um, God, I wish I could have that time back. Moving on, Joe says, if I had to get rid of all my figures or toys and could only keep one from the collection, what would it be and why? Uh, I have found myself in a similar position quite a few times in my life. Uh, although it hasn't come down to just holding on to one of them. Um, if, like, the house is on fire and I can grab one piece, I'm probably going to grab the tiny Rex Gannon figure that Matt Doughty sculpted for me uh, many, many years ago. Um, it never got made. It was just sort of a fun thing he did. Um, that's probably, because it is literally one of a kind and it means so much, That's probably the thing I'm going to grab. Everything else, uh, you know, who cares? It's all, it's all just plastic. Gabe Tovar has quite a few questions here. What kind of music does Hackerman like? Does he even like music? Um, I think people assume Hackerman has time off, which I don't know that they do. I think that Hackerman's consciousness is tied largely to the mission at hand. And uh, I suspect they're probably put into storage when they're not being utilized for nefarious means. Uh, Gabe also asks, are there any movies or TV shows that I've watched of recent that have been a major influence on recent characters and stories? Um, Boy, I guess Deadwood. Deadwood definitely influenced uh, the return to to Gaoa story. Gaoa? Gaoa? How do I even pronounce my own stuff? I don't fucking know. 
Um, Deadwood. Deadwood has been a big influence on that. I'm trying to think what else. I guess like, um, you know, uh, Nintendo Switch is great for the old school NES and Super Nintendo games. So a lot of that is seeping into my storytelling, especially when it comes to Radic and trying to give credence to a character that essentially only exists within a video game, for lack of a better terminology. Um, I can't say that... uh, I haven't watched any real, like, new films or TV. I've been a bit out of the loop. I I think also probably Mission Impossible, um, you know, in terms of trying to create something fun and action-packed. I guess... There's, there's a little bit of Mission Impossible thread that goes into Turbo Atoll and, and some of the short stories. Last question. Uh, it's been a while since we had a device ninja, aside from UV, sheath their way into the shop. Do I have any upcoming, upcoming plans for any? He's just a big fan of these guys. Lilac was his second Night of the Slice, and he always finds himself going back and admiring the guy. Um, so I guess the answer is sort of. I don't have any fully complete new styles, Planned. There is a, a quasi-re-release that'll be happening. This ties into Turbo Atoll. Um, I don't really... I don't have any really, like, ideas burning a hole in my head for um, a new device ninja. But I think over a long enough timeline, he'll be back. Moving along, we got questions from Facebook. First up, Ultras Baltard. I know I already asked a question on Patreon, but I might as well ask here. Will the mystery item have ties to Royal Knight? Um, I would say it has ties to Royal Knight. If you want it to have ties to Royal Knight, I'm fine with that. John Emmett, who has the best hair of all the Street Fighter 2 roster, including Championship Edition? That's a very silly question. Obviously, it's Guile. Anyone would pick Guile. Um, Yeah, that's an easy one. Moving along, Philip Barrara. What do you drink to keep yourself awake slash perked up during the workday looking for healthy alternatives? Well, I can tell you what not to drink. uh, As I've gone on jags about this before, do not drink sugary beverages and minimize your sugar intake as much as possible. Um, That sort of midday feeling of lethargy that is in large part your blood sugar levels crashing because if you have a standard american diet you're loading up on carbs and sugar in the morning with things like pancakes and syrup bagels pastry uh going right through to lunch where you have a sandwich which is more carbs more sugar by the way your body sort of breaks down and processes carbs in the same way it processes sugar travels along the same neural pathways. Um, Feel free to look that up and prove me entirely wrong because that's as best of a recollection as I can make and how that works. Anyway, um, so the first thing is to avoid sugar and avoid sugary beverages throughout the day because you're going to get that 3 p.m. crash if all your body is burning is just carbs or sugar. Um, The second thing is, and this really really works it seems counterintuitive but it really works um afternoon you're starting to feel low great time to do some cardio 
even if it's just a walk, get 45 minutes of an elevated heart rate, and that releases all kinds of chemicals that will wake you up, that will do the trick. Now, I use this when I'm traveling overseas or when I used to, as we're no longer allowed to travel, especially with all the passport restrictions. Ironic, isn't it? We started this term of the presidency um, sort of redlining other countries from visiting the U.S., and now we ourselves have been redlined. Interesting turn of events. Anyway, uh, when I would travel overseas, about a 12 to 14-hour time difference, depending on where I was, that really wrecks havoc on your ability to stay awake. Uh, Jet lag is very difficult to sort of work through. So when it would be 3 p.m. where I was, but 3 a.m. mentally in my internal clock, I would go to the gym, sit on the bike for 45 minutes, and it had a miraculous reversal of jet lag. So it may seem counterintuitive to sort of like do activity to, you know, when you're feeling tired, but just some light cardio for 30 to 45 minutes that will absolutely wake you up. It also really helps regulate your sleep later on. A lot of sort of that dragging feeling throughout the days because you're not sleeping properly throughout the night. Um, exercise really helps regulate that in a big way. So those would be my two tips. One, avoid sugary beverages. And uh, two, see if you can get a little bit of leg movement in when you're starting to feel tired. Next question from Mike Johnson. Will we see Saima in her 10-gallon hat as suggested by Azulato? Um, you know, Saima has the biggest head of any Night of the Slice figure. And I have so far failed to, uh, you know, manipulate any of the hats we have outstanding to fit on there. You could probably pull it off with some glue or with some museum putty. I just haven't found anything that will fit over that large cranium of hers. Um, I, I don't think it's realistic that there will be a hat designed that will fit her head. Probably the the best way to do that would be just there's a entirely new head sculpt. Um, but, uh, you know, that could be quite some time before we get to that. So I leave it to you guys to find an alternative. Maybe some of those uh, Kentucky Fried Toys, maybe they have an option. Paul Michael says, we've got five Action Figure of the Month drops to go for 2020. How many will be fully painted? Uh, they all have paint. That is as much as I will say. One of them features a brand new painting technique that uh, I developed in unison with the factory when I was overseas during my last trip. It's been a long time sort of working on it and trying to get something right, but I think we have it. Um, also interesting to note, there is going to be a very big story that is laced into action figures of the month releases. The first one, this is called Elegy. Elegy. Um, part one of Elegy will be released in August with that action figure of the month. Then you're gonna have to wait until November and December for Elegy Part Two and Part Three. But it is a, probably the most consequential short stories uh, of the Knights of the Slice existence. So it's gonna be a major paradigm shift when uh, when we get to December. So stay tuned for that. You're gonna get your first little peek at that Elegy uh, 
um, next month. So we're, we're just a few weeks away. Jason Miller says, when you're designing or thinking about new ideas for figures, are you thinking more about what you want and what you think is cool or what you think others want and what will sell? Um, it is 100% what I want. Um, I, I, do, I make very few decisions based on what I think can sell or what I think other people want. I just don't have that instinct uh, in my brain. Now, has this led me into trouble? Absolutely. You know, Hob was a huge failure. Desert Rat, while he is appreciated now, was not an initial success. Um, you know, my instincts are not always correct, but I stand by all the creative decisions I've made. I'm happy for things to fail, and I, you know, I assume full responsibility for that. Um, I, I just don't have it in me to do something that I'm not 100% into or I don't want on my own shelf. I've had projects like that, and... Um, you know, they've never ended up being ultimately fulfilling or worth it. Lance asks, do I prefer the pink dominated Captain Peasy or the blue tanner colorway? Um, I think I like Captain Peasy. I, you know, think pink is a great color. I think it's um, been much maligned. Uh, I think that it works particularly well in toy design. And, you know, that sort of late 80s, early 90s era of you know, Playmates and, and all those other fantastic toy companies, they had a ton of pink in their figures. So I'm happy to bring that back around. Cliffy Cheetah, what is my favorite 90s arcade game? Um, I would probably say Capcom Aliens vs. Predator, which is just such a, a fantastic game. There's, there's a lot to choose from. I think also like the early X-Men eight-player arcade game was great. Um... You know, there's there's a ton of great arcade games. That was really the golden age. But uh, yeah, if I had to pick Aliens vs. Capcom, I probably sunk a couple hundred dollars into that machine. And when are we going to get a, a proper re-release of that? Has that ever been released for any systems? Final question from Brian Rios. Where does the Knights of the Slice go from here? We've been given amazing drops, a variety of product from soft vinyl, cloth goods, and of course figures. We are also expecting a drop of the Rex Gannon graphic novel in the near future. You already surprised us with the Acid Rain Knights of the Slice collaboration during Toy PizzaCon and showed, uh, showcased a couple of playsets, accessories, etc. made by other creators. It's kind of hard to imagine what possibly can come next. Um, it's it's hard for me to uh, imagine as well. I feel, in some respects, like I have completely outdone myself, and not not just by myself. This is a, you know there are a team of artisans that are working on all these pursuits. But um, you know, I I thought that last year's Toy Pizza Con was our our peak, our zenith, the best we could do, the most exciting stuff. And I think we've outdone it this year. Uh, I don't know how to do something bigger and better, I can just kind of trust my instincts and keep on this trajectory, keep pushing forward, keep making new toys. Um, I don't, you know, I, I try also not to plan too far ahead. Um, we got the Rex Gannon graphic novel done, so that's pretty damn good. I'm happy about that. That's It should be being printed as we speak. That's going to be an exciting release. Um, there will be a Rex Gannon collection released around the time that is physically in stock. So there'll be a couple new figures there. Um, 
I, I, I feel like, although this could change, that I want to, the next big thing we do together is getting those last two thick boys unlocked. So for those who don't remember, uh, in our Action Figure of the Month 2020 sign-up last October, we had four figures. We had Radic, Hackerman, Chromega, and Sen5. Now, um, that has that only gave us Radic and Hackerman, which I'm happy about. That's great. We got two out of four. I want to go and get those other two figures made. Um, I think that now that you guys have held Hackerman and Radic, you understand the appeal of these, you know, really fun, crazy figures. So uh, that, I think, is kind of the next jump-off point. And I've started to hire some artists to do, you know, uh, design mechanicals, logos, artwork that we can kind of fill out this project with and I'm not 100% ready to commit to launching it but that is sort of where I'm exploring right now and where I think the next thing we tackle will be Um, there will be other graphic novels and books coming out throughout the future that's an area that I'm very interested in and of course as I'm recording this I'm just getting endless texts and pop-up messages it seems like <laughs> whenever I'm I'm trying to just do this quickly and, and get this uh, busted out that everybody starts messaging me. I don't know what it is about the universe that, that makes that happen. But um, in any case, um, there's a lot coming up. I don't sort of know how to put together a program for next year's Toy Pizza Con that blows away this one. But... You know, I think if I just, I keep resolute and on this path, all those ingredients will fall into place. And and we'll be talking this time next year and saying, we did it again. Another successful Toy Pizza Con, another slew of collaborations, another batch of new figures nobody anticipated. Um, You know, I think that could be entirely possible. Um, So I think that's it. That's everything I got. Thank you guys for your questions. Thanks for the support. I hope that uh, while this is still probably the worst year on record, uh, I hope that getting stuff in the mail brightens your day a little bit. And if you keep buying, I'll keep packing them up. And the only thing left to say is pizza out.